לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. great holiday, wonderful holiday, and hope everyone is going to enjoy their Thanksgiving dinner with, a, with an edition of Parsha Talk, because what could be better at, at your Thanksgiving feast than listening to this our discussion of this Parsha? Okay, the way you want to say this, Elliot, is that you want to talk Torah as you talk Turkey. Oh, nicely done. <laughs> I, I was going to be more oblique and say, because food is important in this Parsha yes, in two is. instances. Um, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. The Parsha really opens with a, a, a cue. It signals that we've moved into another phase. Of course, if that wasn't clear to you after, you know, Chayesara and the death of Abraham, it's clear to you now. <laughs> Such a great Pasuk in the sense that, that, it, it tells you in the Pasuk that Isaac's identity is totally wrapped up in his father. And, and you know, when we begin to talk about the stories of Isaac, we come up, I think, missing things. Isaac, of the three patriarchs, is, is the least drawn of the characters. Abraham, of course, is this formidable figure. Jacob goes on to really found the nation, and through all of his difficulties but Isaac you know he's a passive figure um and so I want to you know present here the characters and say um you know Isaac is different obviously from Abraham and really the more uh the more interesting character here is Rebecca um but I just want you to kind of you know let's let's start out with that um we we encountered Rebecca last week. Uh, when she was brought to Isaac, we don't know a lot about her, but we do know enough about her to know that she's interesting. There's something really very uh, forthright about her. Um, and let's pick it up. Let's pick up the story here. So th- they're married. Um, it's He is 40 years old. Um, and they are not able to have children. Again, the same idea, the same theme, the um, the childless couple. Um, and you see the pain here. He prays, he beseeches, he's really quite, you know, torn uh, because of his wife. And, and God answers them, okay? 
And then it gets really interesting. She has a very difficult pregnancy. The lovely onomatopoeia, the, 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 the children, the, the two infants inside the feti are rubbing up against each other. They're, they're, they're colliding inside. And then she says, What am I doing? She goes to seek God. Rabbi Jeremy Kamanovsky, can you can you expound on those four words, in terms of Rebecca, the character, and 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 maybe what the Torah is trying to hint to us in terms of of this um this this moment in her life? Well, I I, I do think, as, as you said a minute ago, that the Rebecca is the most interesting character. I think that Isaac, we see him. It's not that he does nothing, and there are some some you know, uh, significant interactions that he has and stories that he's a part of, but she is a uniquely, uh, she is a figure of the two of them more uniquely oriented towards the divine destiny. So she's she's, uh, barren like all the biblical women, um, and Isaac prays for her, and it, it works, but... When she is then, in, you know, trapped with twins and it's very difficult pregnancy, then she goes to seek her own oracle. Why is it that she couldn't have prayed before? Um, evidently, that that access to God is seen to have come through her her husband. It's unsurprising for a kind of a, a male-centric culture. But she is now able to go to God and get an actual oracle, an ambiguous oracle, not, not 100% clear, Okay. But she uh, she has her own independent experience of Hashem, which I think is a marker for the whole sweep of the story. That when Isaac, who by dint we will we will later hear uh, that he's blind because of old age, although also he is blind. Midrashically speaking, Rashi quotes this: he's blind because when bound upon the altar, the angels were weeping fiery tears, and, and it scalded his own eyes, scorched his own eyes, and he becomes blind then. Or on a poetic level, Isaac is kind of blind. He doesn't get the destiny plan. He li- he likes Esau. Esau perhaps does something from the Jacob can't do. We could talk more about that. But Rebecca, she is really sharp. She does have her own independent relationship with God. And left to his own devices, I think Isaac would have uh, chosen the wrong successor. But Rebecca is the one oriented towards the towards the overall plan, who points us towards the right successor. So I want to, I want to, you know, I'm just noticing this now. You know, in, in in when speaking about Abraham and when speaking about Isaac later in the parsha, it says Adonai. Abraham goes, uh, God speaks to him, and and it says he builds an altar by Adonai. And and he does this a couple of times, and then later on in this parsha, you know, God will will speak to Isaac, and then he builds an altar by Adonai. This case, it says. Vayidrosh, right? She, sorry. Vatelech lidrosh. Vatelech lidrosh Adonai. And then God immediately answers her. In the cases of Abraham and Isaac, when they go and call to God, there's no answer. God doesn't answer them. Well, Isaac Isaac actually does get get an immediate answer. It makes one sort of wonder. So she's, she's barren. It's a source of anguish for her. Um, he 
makes an appeal to God on behalf of his wife who was standing right there. Um, and God responds. Now, there's a, a bit of a wordplay here that the, the word for this, this word of prayer, an atira, is also the word for uh, pitchfork. And the, the rabbis say that that's how, like, the totally awesome prayer of a tzaddik goes. It's like just turning over the uh, the haystack, so, and, but, and God, God is immediately responsive. But what I just want to say about the Isaac thing, uh, apart from the pitchfork thing, Isaac has a very effective prayer. She's She can't get pregnant, now she is pregnant. It makes you wonder, uh, if, if all it took was a good prayer, well, how about Abraham and all those years of infertility? Well, there you go. And so... I, I think Abraham was more concerned in, about God talking to him than he was about, you know, praying to God and getting answers. At least the text doesn't tell us that Abraham goes and prays to God a lot. It just says, well, maybe that is prayer, but it doesn't tell us that God speaks to him after he calls him. But here, you know, interestingly enough, God doesn't speak to Isaac after he prays to God. God basically you know, causes things to happen so that she becomes pregnant. Um, and and um, with regard to his God's response to, God seems to have no problem responding to Rebecca, but has problems responding to Abraham and Isaac, is what I'm saying. <laughs> God, you well, know. Well, I, I think maybe we don't pay enough attention to the word Ladrosh. Okay. She go goes ahead. to ask, uh, and that's why she gets an answer. You know, I get the like, idea with Isaac and Abraham, when they when they call to God, they're not expecting necessarily an answer, but rather a location for an address, which they get just by speaking. But I, Rebecca does need an answer. Drisha suggests urgency, and she's in an urgent state. She's in a, she's in a, she's she thinks that she's going to die. I mean, she says, "Lama ze anochi," you know what? Well, you know, yeah. If I'm not mistaken, this is the first set of twins that are recognized as twins, the Feirush. Yes, okay. So this is a unique experience, you know, one that she's not familiar with. In a sense, it foreshadows the double blessing of the first sport. It secures Isaac's position as the firstborn because he gets the double inheritance, uh -huh. two children at once. Okay. And that, as the Torah makes clear, is a mixed blessing. I think Lidrosh has, uh, um, it, I'm not denying the urgency thing, but I also think it has a uh, a more poetic kind of broader sensibility. She's got to go seek something. Um, may, maybe to if, if I was going to pick up you, what you said about uh, the difference between the they call on God's name or they seek God, that perhaps the calling on God's name is more like, um, I have something to say, I'm going to say it, I'm going to, cast my words towards heaven she wants an interaction she's yeah. she's got to go seeking and she does get she gets an oracle um god says to her something and says to her something enigmatic it, it, that makes her something perhaps like uh, a little more prophetic than so where does i mean the text doesn't tell us where she goes but where where do you think she goes if you had to kind of imagine this i mean you know sometimes when i when i think about teaching these these um these stories i want to put myself in the in in the stage director's chair, right, and say, "Okay, I have a play going on here, and and how would you, how would you block out the scene where Vatelech Lidrosh et Adonai she goes? Does she 
does she leave Isaac? Does she, you know, Vatelech is a is a loaded word because she's when they say to her, you know, are you going to go with this guy? And in back last week, and she says, Elech, exactly. I'm going to go. Yeah. And Lech Lecha is very loaded. Um, so when it's well, Vatelech, it's loaded because loaded. it's unidirectional. Okay, so so is she going to a shrine? Is she going to an altar? Is she going to her own place? Is she going into her room? Is she? I mean, like. Where so, would you ever go? I would have her go to Malkitzedek. Really? That way we keep it in the Bible. <laughs> and she wants a sense of justice or right, righteousness. She wants to know that everything is going to be okay. So you go to the king of righteousness. Wait a well, second. This, okay. this is what, you know, the, the Rashi gives us a, the, uh, the, uh, from Breshi Rabba that she goes, of course, where else would she possibly go? The yeshiva of shame and Okay, fine. So, so you know, don't forget, this is a woman who has left her ancestral home, and her and her mother-in-law has died. She has no mother. All she has, who are the who are the women in her life? She she only has a character that we learn of later. The, her her quote unquote nurse, right? You know, if you if you follow the the midrash that she was, I don't know, three years old. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous. But but she comes to Canaan accompanied <laughs> by by another female presence. Um, but she has no one. So so you know, considering the fact that that here she's in a difficult pregnancy, and she's got no one to turn to. There's no there's no other female presence here for her. I guess I don't know. Maybe. You know. And when you have no one to turn to, you turn to God. Or God's representative. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay. So, well, so- God's God's representative. I mean, I, I think that I was just scanning some of the you know, commentaries here. Thanks to the fact that we're having this conversation on a computer, I can scan something while we're talking. Uh, and most of them are quite conventional. She goes to a prophet or she goes to pray. Prayer is clear. Prayer is, is clearly an element in here. But um, it's the Shem and Ever. You know, I I find that just slightly uh, not not implausible, but slightly unsatisfying in the sense that we don't hear, you know, like when Saul needs to find the donkeys, he's got to find a prophet to ask about the donkeys. She's got something like inner, um, something interior, something spiritual, yeah. and she gets something spiritual back. So I, I I'm more inclined to think that this is like, um, you know, a meditative. Uh, prayerful uh, interior experience. Okay, so I'm going to go out on a, on a way out and say she wants she's going to go to Mariah. She's going to go to Maria? She's going to go to Maria. She's got, she wants to see the room where it happened. <laughs> <laughs> she she wants, I, I mean, look, if we want to be as outlandish as possible, you know, you're going to go to a holy place. You're going to go to a place where there's an altar. You're going to go to a place where, where there was, you know, somewhere where, where, where the contact was made. And she's got this, this tremendous spiritual anguish here. Uh, well, it's interesting though because we associate Moriah with seeing, not with hearing. Okay, okay. So why would she not go there? And why, would, or maybe would she invent her own kind of? Well, place? so let's just play this out. Why would she go there? Is that the place where Isaac was redeemed in her mind? Right? I mean, she, we have to imagine. So she comes into Isaac's life after the Akedah, 
after Sarah is dead. So how do we imagine her finding out about the Akedah? What is her her story of the Akedah? Okay, so this is our, our little, you know, we need we need a schnapps here. We need we need to close our eyes. We need to meditate here. And if we were going to spin a yarn here and invent our own midrash, I would say the following, okay? And you know, I love to tell stories. So so here's a story. It's a love story. The love story is Rebecca and Isaac, okay? And and it truly is a love story. It's a great romantic story. In some ways, you know, full of naivete. She doesn't know anything about him, okay? And maybe she learns at one point that, you know, this terrible trauma took place. And she because she doesn't know anything about him, she wants to find out more. And because she's really an interesting, I think, you know, also very smart, very conniving, very, um, you know, uh, developed character, um, she's going to find out things about him through the geography, I think. And that, that if I if I were to nominate a place where she goes, I would nominate more, notwithstanding the fact that it's probably a couple of days journey. And so the scene that I would play out is Isaac, yes, I'm I'm packing my bag. I'm going on a journey. I'm going to I'm going to retrace your steps because you're old already, or you're you know he he kind of comes off as an old man already, and and um, you know she she has to depart, and it, there's we don't know the time lapse between her decision to go and seek God and they're coming back, but let's give it a day or two, plausible maybe. Where are they coming? She's coming from. They're living in the Negev at this point. Where are they living? They're living near Beersheba. They're living Berelachairoi, somewhere in the south. So to go to Morai, it's a, it's, it's a bit of a schlep. It's a, it's well, no, but it's the same schlep that Avraham took back. Exactly, exactly. Right, but and by I the think way, what and I, by the way, who's still alive? You know, we, we were looking at the, we were looking. Oh, right. It's not that difficult to. Uh, if you just count up the years and what the ages of people are when they when they died, we were looking before we started recording. We talked about it in the past that there's there's all kinds of strange things that show up. Um, Abraham is by any reckoning. I mean, he's 99 when Isaac is born. He's 175 when Isaac dies. Isaac is four. He's 175 when he dies. Isaac is 40 when he gets married. Uh, Abraham and and he's 60 when the when the children are born. So by any calculation of, of putting all these dates together um abraham is still alive at the marriage and no. 20 years of infertility okay so abraham is no relationship with Isaac, but 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 we, we you know let's amend what i said before there's no female presence in in rebecca's life not 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 true abraham marries keturah perhaps you could say that that that's a surrogate mother-in-law she could go and keturah is 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 you know, giving birth to lots and lots of children here. Keturah is the only other woman that we know of in the sphere of these stories that has any experience with childbirth. Um, you know, probably with some others, though. Okay, so... so the I would add spinning, to what you said, Elliot. Is she's that, going to go, to, go ahead. <laughs> I would suggest that her version of the Akedah is that the salvation of Isaac was a response to Isaac's prayer, and that's why she would go to Moriah because she needs God to hear her prayer. Interesting. Another. So I, I'm going to go. With, I'm just going to go with one other counter reading, though. Which is not, I, don't, I mean, we're making up. We're, you know, we're we're riffing and making up our own midrashim, and the Akedah is super, super important, obviously, in Isaac's life. Although it is notable that, unlike you know, remember you were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, or 
you know, there's some motifs of river of of, of sea crossings. Uh, the Akedah isn't, isn't mentioned again in the Tanakh, and I want to focus at least slightly on the. Um, to me, if you'll forgive me, the very pregnant question: Nimkain lama zeanochi? If if this is what it's like, why do I exist? Or if this pain is so bad, um, do I really want to keep existing? Or you know, with with a little bit of a modern ear, um, you want to ask uh, is my modern feminist ear to Rebecca's claim, is this what my life is about? Is my life just simply about having children? Uh, I, I, as I've said in the past, we've talked about it among ourselves, we've talked about it in previous Parsha talks on this Parsha. You know, Rebecca's a hugely important character. She is she is the key covenantal link. Um, am I supposed to have, have these kids? Is, is, do I have something else to contribute? Uh, and so she seeks a divine guidance and God tells her the meaning of this difficult pregnancy. Yes, interesting, interesting. Okay, so so obviously everything everything in our conversation is hinging on her, and and she she really becomes the 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 move the character that that moves the story along. That that that's clear. All right, so so maybe we'll try to we have the story. The 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 boys are born. Uh, Jacob tricks Esav out of the birthright, the Bechorah. Uh, it's not a trick. He makes a business deal. He manipulates. Is, he doesn't trick him. Only to his advantage. Okay. Well, the, the key the key thing about that scene, so the, the first scene after they're born, Isaac, Esav uh, comes in from the field. He's famished by Midrashic uh, Association. This is on the day of Abraham's death. Jacob is cooking a lentil stew because lentils are the traditional morning meal. Not morning meal, the M-O-U-R-N, the morning meal. Um, why is he cooking lentils? Well, somebody must have just died. Who, who died? Abraham. And if you, again, if you count the years, you'll find that, that Yaakov and Esau are 15 when this happens. But Esau comes in and he's like, he's been working. He's out in the field. He's quote unquote dying. Of, I'm dying here. I'm dying of hunger. And Jacob, he doesn't he doesn't steal, but he does manipulate and says, Well, send sell me the Bechorah. We have in our parsha the Bechorah, the firstborn inheritance right, and the Bracha, which seems to be like the designation of leadership. And Jacob says, Sell me the, the firstborn. I Asaph says, I'm gonna die like right now if I don't get lunch. If I don't get lunch right now, I'm gonna die. So who what do I care about? The what do I care about the inheritance right? And this is a kind of a slapstick comic scene. Big dumb Asav, he has zero capacity for delayed gratification. He has zero capacity for thinking about his action. He just needs lunch now, and so it's it's comic, but also tragic. Until you get the results, <laughs> yes, because because you know he eats, he drinks, he gets up, he goes, he despises the birthright. Okay. Right. So I have to add here, there's a old line in literature that you show, not tell. Yeah. And the the Vayibes is telling, it's not showing. Because the other four verbs, you can see them. You can see Esau eat, you can see him drink, you can see him get up, you can see him go. But what did he do that shows that he had contempt for the birthright? Well, That's the, the only in the narrator's mind. So, so the I'm looking at the JPS 1985 translation, which I think is very well done, um, because as as you just were reading it, you pointed out that there's 
that there's five verbs in, in the consecutive structure. Vayochal, vayesht, vayakum, vayelech. He ate, he drank, he got up, and he left. Vayivez, esav et And as you pointed out correctly, that means, the you know, esav, es, and, and he spurned the birthright, or he despised the birthright. The JPS gives us very nicely. Jacob then gave Esau bread and lentil snus, stew, semicolon. He ate and drank and he went, rose and went away, period. Thus did Esau spurn the birthright. Um, now, it works and doesn't work. It The way it works is that it captures exactly what you said. The first four describe his actions, and the fifth one is a parenthetical or, or authorial comment on it. The way it doesn't work is that the whole, sent, the poetry of the sentence structure is and this, and this, and this, and this, and this. Um, and the fifth one should be part of the, should be an item in the series, not not a comment on the series. But I think, I, I like the way I they think, did it. You know what, they're being influenced by the trope, which is a, it's a zakef katon, which is netnachta. So we have two word pairs, eating, drinking, getting up and going, and then, because Vayivez Esav and Abichorah. Right. So Vayivez is conjuncted to the to the next phrase. Okay. I like I like the five the series of five verbs better, but uh that that, that who cares? <laughs> so, yeah, but uh, well no, I think it's important because we're left with this idea that I think Esau gets kind of a bad rap. Yeah. And one of the reasons why he gets a bad rap is because other people interpret his actions for him, and he doesn't get to speak. Okay, but, he, but he does. He does, in fact. I mean, it, you are clearly right that it is an authorial comment, not a description of his action, which which just describes what he did. Uh, but this describes imputes the meaning of it. But I mean, I, I would stress for the reason that I said before: the whole, you know, I'm going to die if I don't get lunch. And because the words that he says in that story are so comic, um, which if, if we were to be really literal, when he's asking Jason, Jacob for lunch, he says, stuff the red stuff down my throat. Down my throat, yeah. yeah. Um, so Esau is, is like, he, he is portraying, I mean, he's not portraying himself, the Torah is portraying him, but the, the way it's portraying him is as a brute. And a brute cannot be Abraham's inheritor. Notwithstanding the fact that he is hairy, he is manly, he is strong, you know, maybe he's the perfect kind of person. I look, I, I think I think we have a lot of sympathy for him. We end up having a lot of sympathy for him in light of what happens later on in the Parsha where where he he He's totally cheated out of out of. Well, okay. If you're going to go in that direction, then what would really disqualify Esau from the covenantal blessing is that his father loves him, and the true recipient of the covenantal blessing is the one whose father does not love him. Right? Abraham wants to kill Isaac, and is glad to do it until he stopped. And Isaac doesn't love Jacob, and that's what makes him no. a worthy ear. Sorry, no, no, no. That's, uh, that's not quite right. If Abraham didn't, well, love, that's up until then. You know, you if Abraham doesn't love Isaac, then then the story makes no sense. But I would say it like this: what really disqualifies him is he is the firstborn. The firstborn. Yeah, yeah. really. The you know, for all of the primogeniture laws and and the preferential treatment in inheritance that a firstborn gets are 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 
our listeners uh, may know this, that it's not primogeniture like you think of in, in Europe. It's it's that whatever number of, you know, in the Torah's inheritance laws, whatever number of children, sons you have, let's say, the, the daughters, it gets more complicated with Benot Slavchan at the end of numbers, but we'll leave it alone for the moment. Let's just say uh, uh, a patriarch has four sons. He divide, d- divides his inheritance into five portions. Each one gets one, and the firstborn gets two. It's not the firstborn gets everything. It's the firstborn gets one additional share. So the Bible's favorite, favorite story over and over and over again is that the physical firstborn doesn't really deserve it. There is a more deserving secondborn. And so it's amazing that a book, which is so normative, which is so all about the rules of proper behavior, one of its best stories is that destiny happens in a violation of the normal rules. So I'm going to say the Bible's second favorite story has to do with, and, and here for young listeners, you need to, your parents. <laughs> the, is this R rated? This is the sex part of the story. Okay. There's some going on in the story. And, then, <laughs> and <laughs> so they go, there's this moment where the, the, the stories imitate the previous story of Abraham and Sarah, where Abraham tries to, you know, introduce Sarah as his sister. Same is happening here with Isaac and Rebecca when they go to um, to 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 Gerar, to the place of the Plishtim. There's a, a famine in the land, and they have to migrate to a place where there's more food. And so it, it they they're going to this place, and Isaac says, "This is my sister," and sure enough, sure enough. Uh, Avimelech, they're staying. It's a long time. By they've been staying there for a long time. By Avimelech, Melech the king Avimelech, the king of the Philistines, he looks and by we've identified that word as he looks down. He's probably perched higher up and he's looking down, um, probably from his second floor suite to maybe a first floor apartment. He is at, I guess, his window, Vayar, and he sees, Vihine, and behold, Yitzchak mitzachek et Rivka ishto. Isaac is, quote, playing with his wife, Rebecca. Nice words there, Yitzchak mitzachek, but, but, um, so, so we understand this to be as involved. They're intimately involved, okay? And, Avimelech sees this, and my question is: Is you know there, there's so much? This is his second favorite story of the of the Tanakh, right? There's the the curiosity, the the tension, the why is Avimelech you know at his window? Why is he looking down? Um, is he you know again you know if you were if you were directing the story and 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 putting on a stage or putting on a screen, you know. What are you? What would you pull out of the story? What would you? What would you? What? Well, you you told us before you thought that uh, maybe I forgot if this was before we started recording or ne- or once recording, you know that that Isaac and Rebecca uh, are portrayed the love story. as a love story, and and so I would could could we say something as uh, as speculative but also fun as. They couldn't keep their hands off each I other. I think so. No, they're trying is... to do this ruse to, to they're doing this brother sister ruse, but they can't pull it off. Exactly, exactly. He's from the moment that he tells her Yitzchak tells Avimelech that she's my sister. He's going like, 
Yeah, come on. And don't forget that Rebecca is unusually beautiful. She's so beautiful that that this this is what attracted the servant to her in the first place. He was stunned by her beauty. That is the the most you know defining quality of her character is that she is physically beauty. I mean, we we didn't mention this last week, but she comes out with the the pitcher on her shoulder. Okay. You know, and so since we're in the X-rated part of this Parsha talk, you know, the narrator is just paying, is having fun with this because the picture is shapely and evidently, you know, she is probably very shapely as well in the most attractive way possible. And Avimelech sees this and, and is attracted to her and, you know, thinks, well, she's his sister. Yeah, right. And, and he is waiting. He is waiting for the moment to catch them. Barachalon. You know, I mean, we we all have curiosity over our neighbors, okay? Except, you know, <laughs> he had super curiosity over his neighbors. And why were they? Why were they? You know, uh, placed in the in the next um, uh, uh, shack next to him, or the next hut, or the you know he he gave them a, a you know a, a a prime location for lodging so that he could spy on them, right? Are you suggesting? Ellie, if I, if I understand you correctly, you're interpreting the Bible as saying, okay, before there was the internet. <laughs> <laughs> I, yes, before he, there's, we don't know a lot about Avimelech, okay? But it, it he's a king, there's the power, there's masculinity there, there's sexuality there. There's a woman. There's a beautiful woman, and I think he wants her. And and so we we have a suggestion here that there are, as always in the Bible, there are echoes of these stories in later biblical stories. Take David and Bathsheba, for example, where Bathsheba is naked on the roof, and and the reader asks, "Is she up there because she is trying to seduce David, or is it by an accident?" And what is he doing there? looking at the roof. And of course, if you're Leonard Cohen, you know what he's doing there. But but she's bathing on the roof. But, you know, the, 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 the story is built on the tension between whether or not she's trying to seduce him or whether or not he's, he is simply a bored king and, and doesn't know what to do with himself. And, and we have that echo going on here. I don't know if you have a, a reaction. You know, uh, just the only thing I would say about that is not in the Abraham and Sarah in Egypt, but both in the Abraham and Sarah in the Philistines with, with Abimelech, it's not as a person's name, it seems to be the name of the Philistine king, or Isaac and Rebekah and Abimelech, even if it's not the same Abimelech, uh, the Philistines come off pretty good because the Philistines in neither case uh, actually lay a hand on the supposed unmarried sister. Um in fact, each case to Abraham and now this case in this parsha to Isaac, they say, "What the hell are you doing to us? Why, why did you risk, um, uh, you know, a terrible outcome?" <laughs> and in both cases, Abraham Abraham says, I, "I I knew this was not a God fearing place." And Isaac said, "Well, I thought you'd kill me." Um, but in both cases, the, the Philistine king Abimelech says, "You know, listen, you needlessly exposed." all of us to mortal sin. Why'd you do that? Don't do that. That's not nice. I love, I love what he says here. He says, Kimat shachav achad You know, 
somebody from the people, Chada'am, right? Any of these yokels, <laughs> any of these yokels could have slept with your wife, right? But he means himself. <laughs> uh, he says, "Okay, that's maybe true." I mean, I was thinking that it's like you know, somebody. we're Philistines. We're a bunch. We're a bunch of Philistines around here. We do all <laughs> kinds of stupid stuff. <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, this this it 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 skirts into there. So okay, so that that happens from that. He, he is very blessed. We're out of time, but. We know we know what happens in the next story. The next story is such a powerful, powerful, tragic story. But it's the story that sets the direction for the rest of uh, the stories of Jacob. Jacob will purloin the blessing from his father uh, at the expense of his brother. Uh, and and we've talked about you know the most tragic lines of the Bible, right? Do you only have one blessing? Oh my God, your heart breaks when Asaph says that to his father. Do you only have one blessing? And then, of course, at the end of the parsha, uh, Rebecca, who takes the, you know, pilots the family at this point, is saying to Jacob, "You got to go. You got to go. Brach lecha. You got to leave. You know, because um, he's going to kill you." And and um, she becomes the one that uh, loses a child, loses both children, right? In a sense, we don't. There's never any re acquaintance or re-encounter between Jacob and Rebecca after the story. So in a sense, she, she, as formidable as she is, she's also the most tragic figure. It, it never, really, never accounts her death, right? Never accounts. No, don't think so. But we don't want to end on that. We want to end on, on something good. So <laughs> we'll say, first of all, uh, how, how grateful we are for the, you know, if we're seeing a things about, the things around the Thanksgiving table, the things for which we give thanks. You know, we had uh, Yaakov Epstein wrote, I'm going to make a shout out to him because he's such a loyal fan and said a nice comment. He's thankful for our Parsha talk. We're thankful for Yaakov. We're thankful for you and we're thankful for everyone who watches and listens, writes in. Uh, we enjoy it. We have so much fun doing this. I want to wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving and a good Shabbos coming up. Good week. We'll see you next week on the next edition of Parsha Talk. Happy Thanksgiving. Shabbat Shalom.